Good morning, everybody. Um, I wanted to take a moment first and welcome some people we got online. Um, Mary Frances Sibley, I haven't seen you guys in so long, I miss you. I'm not seeing their names. Uh, Patricia Kosaboom, Lil Kamari, uh, Catherine LeHue, I hope you're doing well. Frances um, Bracken, Adrian Doyon, Dave Stearns, Fred Shaw, Jan Butler, Marie and Ken Quarry, Amanda, um, Charlie Rodriguez, miss you guys, and uh, Kimberly Penny Kitchen. Um, and along with, those are just people that just said, hey, we're here. Um, so, uh, yeah, welcome. My name's Pastor Justin. I'm the, the senior pastor here at New Life, and I'm just going to put this away if I can. Okay. Um, so, uh, what a week. What a week. Um, yeah. A um, couple of updates for you. Um, one is we're currently working on creating more opportunities in our worship for our worship gatherings. And um, given the current changes and in and, and crowd size and all of that, we're excited. So stay tuned. I'm going to be emailing you this week um, with some, some more and different options for, uh, for us to be gathering for live worship in person gatherings as well. Um, we're just needing to, to figure out a way to pivot through this. Um, through this time, and it is a season. So let's just remember that. Amen. It is a season. It's been the longest 14 days of my life, but um, but it is but it is a season. Um, regarding the, the governor's uh, executive order that came out on I think it was Thursday. Um, you know, I'm sure you saw it posted, and um, you know, I, many of you guys are, are, are obviously abiding by that. And we just thank you for that. Um, it's a relief to some of you and a frustration to others. Um, and that's a reality. And I just, I just want to remind you of that as your brothers and sisters um, next to you. Uh, we're all in very different places, not only uh, <laughs> with regard to the drama of this election, but uh, everything that's going on in our state and, uh, and things that are going around here. So let's do what we can to care for those around us, um, not just our brothers and sisters in Christ here, but the community that God has called us to steward here in Biddeford. And um, I, I just believe that God has a, a high priority on gathering and um, gathering together to worship. And so whatever we've got to do to be able to make that happen, some of you are like, well, I can't, I can't sing. It sounds muffled when I, when, when I have this. Here's the reality. You didn't have a good voice beforehand. Um, <laughs> uh, some, some people are actually thanking you for wearing a mask. Um, but, uh, but let's just continue to, to keep focused on what it is that God's called us to do, that we're supposed to be, uh, you know, gathering together to worship him, to, to hear the word, to pray for each other, to minister each other. Uh, let me just tell you and remind you that people, especially in this day and age, need to not isolate, but to be around other believers as we see child abuse and neglect and um, suicide and uh, all kinds of... Uh, of uh, um, we're seeing drug abuse on the rise and all of those things. This is a time for the church to, to continue to gather and to be a strength to each other. So I just want to encourage you in that. Uh, we're going through a series, going through the book of Second Peter. And um, if you've never been to Second Peter, maybe this is your first time here, then you can go to the book of Revelation and then turn back like three pages, four pages, and you'll be in Second Peter. It's a very short letter. And um, we went through First Peter, and now we're, we're going through the, the book of Second Peter, and this is our second week in it. Um, I would love, as we get to Second Peter chapter 1, if you'd stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read down through the, the end of that, of that chapter together. 
Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. And as we read it and as we get into it, God, I pray that it would change our hearts, our minds, and mold us and make us to be more like you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Second Peter chapter 1. I will, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will, it will, I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in the midst of, um, of bad news and bad reports, Lord, that we always have the good news. In fact, it's the great news of Jesus Christ. May we keep that before us in our minds, on our hearts. May we be reminded of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks. Um, so verses 12 through 15, I, I I'd encourage you to keep your Bible open as we, as we go down through it. If you've got it on your phone, just kind of keep that open as we walk down through it. But it's interesting, in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, he, he says the same thing over and over again. He says, um, I want to remind you of something. And then he says, um, it's, it's right to refresh your memory. In other words, to awaken you, to rouse you to awakening. And then he says, I want you to always be able to remember. So he's like, I want to remind you, I want to refresh you, and I want, to remem- I want you to remember something. He's very, he's very passionate about something, and, and here's the thing. What is it that he wants us to remember? What is the thing that he's wanting to remind us of, to arouse us, to wake up to? It's the gospel, the good news, um, because we forget it. Not that I'm saying that we forget like, the good news as far as like, wait a minute, oh, Jesus died and then he, ro- he rose again? Oh, I, t- I totally forgot about that. It's not that, it's not that we just necessarily forget it. It's that um, sometimes we forget how great the good news is. And um, it gets drowned out by other stuff. If I'm going to be very honest with you, um, this week stunk for me. <laughs> That's the most PC word I could use so that some of you don't get offended. Um, you know, you, you ever go through weeks where you just feel like, like you just got sucker punched and then kicked in the groin and then hit across the face again? Like you just kind of feel those where you're just like, man, I just, uh, you know, every time you turn around, you get a bad report or bad news, that kind of thing. And you, you find yourself, like literally by the midweek, I, um, I don't know, maybe you can relate, maybe you've been here before, where you feel like, like a completely exhausted from frustration. Like you're so frustrated that you just, meh. <laughs> You're just like, I don't even know what to do, right? I'm so, I'm so completely frustrated that I am, I am exhausted from my frustration. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you're a parent, you've probably been there. 
Are you just completely exhausted? I have nothing left to give. You know, your kid's crying and you're just like, just keep crying. I don't, I don't care, right? I don't know if you've ever been there, you just go to your room and cry. It's just because I don't want to hear you cry anymore, right? Just cry in your room. Shut the door, please. Um, we get to those places, and whether it's the election drama of this week that is continuing and will probably continue for quite a while, um, the reduction of gathering sizes on Sunday, and then the strengthening of the mask mandate on Thursday. Um, and all these things are valid frustrations. They're all real things that affect us, and um, yeah, either immediately or, or in the future. Um, but what I know is that I allowed my frustrations to cause me to forget. Um, I spent the whole week forgetting to remember. I don't know if you've ever been there before where you're like, um, the immediacy and, and the, the news that is in front of my face causes me to forget the great news uh, of Jesus Christ. Um, and I don't mean like forgetting like you're a soap opera star that got amnesia. I mean, I just know that it's possible to know the good news in your brain and then forget it in your heart. We all know the good news. If you've been a Christian, you've received Jesus Christ, you know it in your head, but, but it very, uh, sometimes our heart forgets, forgets it. And uh, it's so easy to allow bad news to drown out the good news. And I think this portion of Scripture is providential, as all Scripture is. But midweek, I was literally like, <laughs> maybe I'm just going to chuck out this whole second Peter crap. I'm just going to, let's just talk about something else. I don't, I don't feel like talking about this. And, um, and God was like, no, no I kind of orchestrated this for you. I'm like, really? Because in times like this, it is important for us to be reminded. At times like this, it's important for us to stir up to awakening to stir up your memory, to be awakened from our sleep, to remember the good news even when you're getting a bad report. And um, I want to remind you the setting of this letter that Peter writes to these Christians who are being persecuted, killed, tortured, impaled, um, burned alive to light Nero's dinner parties. Um, and Peter writes this letter, many believe, in his 70s. It's kind of at the the end of his years, so to speak. He even refers to it in this letter that we just read. He kind of knows that like, this is going to be the end of his life, whether, whether he's just getting older or Jesus has made that very real and apparent to him. He, he knows that, that it's near the end, and he essentially is telling them and he's telling us these certain things that we should not forget to remember. Don't forget to remember these things. Because oftentimes, I think that we forget to remember what we ought to, and then we remember what we ought to forget. And the things that are in front of us that may seem trivial seem also important, and the things that are most important seem very trivial in the moment, or trite. And we can become enveloped with what we can't do rather than what we can do. And um, because honestly, I'm probably a whole lot like you. I don't like it when people tell me what to do. I haven't grown up that much as a kid. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I don't like it when somebody tries to tell me uh, what I can and can't do. And I get focused on that word, no. I don't like it. I don't like it when anyone says no to me. 
And uh, as an adult, you kind of get to this place where you're like, oh, I get to say no to people, to kids, to my kids. Nobody says no to me, though. We don't like that, that word, no. And I just want to urge you as a Christian, if I can say anything to you today, that if you are frustrated, if you are upset or depressed or overwhelmed, you need to be relying on the Holy Spirit right now in your life. I can't say that more than, more, than, more than what I just said. You need to be relying on the Holy Spirit in your life right now. Please don't rely on your own understanding. Lean into God. I pray that the Holy Spirit, even this morning, would come and do what he came here to do. Um, did you know that the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you of what you already know? John 14, 26, let me read it to you. This is Jesus' words. He says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. <laughs> it's literally the role of the Holy Spirit to remind us of what we already know. And I pray that this morning that the Lord, that the Holy, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would remind you, would refresh you, would cause you to remember what you already know and you may be forgetting. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Um, this is in the message paraphrase. He says this, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. And everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Let me just... Let me just tell you what it's not saying here. Essentially, he's saying that we go off track a lot. And when we take our eyes and stop listening to the voice of God in our life, then we do go off track. I don't stay on track on my own. We only stay on track when we are listening to the voice of God in our life. Because the world around you will remind you of your past, but the Holy Spirit will remind you of your future. The world around you will report bad news and the Holy Spirit reminds you of the good news. The, the world around you will uh, you know, try to get you to uh, remember your worst day and the Holy Spirit reminds you of, of your best. And so just don't forget to, to remember. You know why the Apostle Peter is so like serious about this? It's because... Jesus actually mandated him to do it. If you, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me show you. I'm going to show you in Luke 22. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus knew that Peter was going to screw up. Jesus knew that Peter was actually going to deny him three times to a little slave girl that's like, hey, don't you know Jesus? Aren't you with Jesus? He's like, I don't know the man, right? Like, I mean, and then the cock-a-doodle-doo, cock doo like all that kind of stuff. Like Jesus knew that all this was going to happen. And before all of it happened, before he even went to the cross, in Luke 22, verse 31, he speaks to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Some of you, some of you need to hear that this morning. Make no mistake, Satan will try his best to separate you from God. But I pray that you don't get so focused on fighting Satan that your faith begins to fail. 
Let me just remind you, I think sometimes we, we look at Satan's sifting as, as the actual fight. It actually can become a distraction, and we begin fighting a fight that God never told you to fight. Because <laughs> Jesus says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So you may feel like Satan is sifting you right now. You may feel like, man, I can, I can feel that. I can relate to that right now. But I pray that you won't be so focused on Satan's fight that your faith begins to fail. Because let me tell you, there is something so much more at stake than winning a fight. It's losing your faith. And for maybe for some of you that are like, well, you know, and I'm just not going to come back to church if I have to wear a mask. Who wins? Who wins? Don't get so focused on fighting Satan that you start to lose your faith. Because God is continually wanting want to use what Satan means to weaken us, to strengthen others. He continually uses your trials to, to, to bring encouragement to other people or your downfalls to lift other people up. Our faith was never meant to be something that we squandered, that we keep to ourselves. It's always meant to be something that, that, we, that we bless other people and strengthen other people with. And so my question is, who are you strengthening with your life? Are you using what God has revealed to you to give away? Are you taking the blessings that God has given you for yourself, or are you blessed to be a blessing? I just think it's so, it's so significant of what Peter is reminding us about right here. In verse 13, let me read it. He says, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Think, just, just, just consider what, what this guy's writing. He says, because I know that it will soon be put aside. And it's like, I know I'm going to die soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, after I die, you will always be able to remember these things. It's almost as if Peter was more concerned with the legacy he was leaving than he was with living. He's like, look, I'm, he, I mean, he literally describes his body as a tent. I don't, know, I don't know how many people do that. He's so serious about this. I was reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2. He says this, Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. I'm like, what? He says, after all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. I think there's this, there's this reality. I mean, we're getting a peek into a 70-plus-year-old man that knows that his life is near the end, and he's aware that he's, he doesn't have long here. And I think that whenever we're aware that we're mortal, the trivial seems much more trivial. If you've ever had like these uh, uh, health scare, or if you've ever had, or maybe you're in the midst of it right now, maybe you're kind of in this place where you're like, man, I'm, I've got this legit thing that uh, this doctor's report or whatever's going away. All of a sudden, everything comes into focus and the trivial things become trivial and the most important becomes most important in your life. And when we live outside of that, then the trivial becomes important and the important gets drowned out by the trivial. I just want to encourage you, live with a legacy that outlives you. I wish that I had a heart like Peter that was like, man, I mean, I want to live long, but like I'd rather leave a legacy that lives long after me. 
than just try to prolong this thing, right, on, on this earth. And, he, and he's writing this, this reality that I think is, we're very much removed from sometimes. I, I want you to see the urgency that, that Peter is writing this in, almost as if he, he believes this, that the church of Jesus Christ is literally only one generation away from extinction, like, if I don't pass this on to you, if I don't, if I don't share this faith with you, if I don't remind you and, and, and rouse you to wake up, and if I don't share and cause you to remember the things that I've seen, the things that I've done, the things that God's done in my life, if I don't let you know about this, then Christianity is one generation away from extinction. And whether that's true theologically, and you're like, oh, God's going to continue, here's the reality. I, 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 I envy this guy who is so concerned about the legacy. He's obsessed with the legacy that he's leaving, not just trying to prolong his life. And I think that a lot of times we can get those two things mixed up. We get them upside down. I mean, he talks about it. He's like, my body is a tent. He's like, I, I, I'm, I just have a short time in this tent. I don't know anybody. I've never heard anybody who refers to their body as a tent. Tent is one of the most... Temporary places you can live in. I don't call it living, I call it camping, right? Like you're not living in a tent, you're camping in a tent. I can spend like four, maybe, the, I think the most I've spent is five days in a tent. And then I'm done. Why? Because I'm sick of pretending like I'm homeless. I, I've got a bed and a home that's dry, it doesn't leak. Why in the world are we pretending like we're homeless for five days? Like this, if, if I spend longer than, longer than three days in, in a tent, I'm like, oh, I need to go home. I want to go home. I think that's what Peter's like, this is what he's calling for. This is the thing that he's just like, this is my last will and testament. This is, this is what is most important. Guys, look, I, I, I'm, I'm pouring out everything that is of utmost importance to you. This is from a man who knows his time on earth is short, and he's going to share some of the most important things that he wants to impart to people. And I want you to look at what Peter reminds us of. He, here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, be nice, because Jesus likes it. Share. He doesn't even say, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, because Jesus doesn't like that. He doesn't even say, make sure you pray 25 minutes a day and read the Bible through in a year, because Jesus really likes that. There's, it, it has nothing to do with disciplines, has nothing to do with, well, you should do this because Jesus likes this and don't do that because Jesus doesn't do that. Are, are all these things great and important and should we live a good moral ethical life? Absolutely, but it is not the most important thing that Paul wants to remind you of. Those things will happen if some of this gets settled. Verse 16 I want you to catch this. This is, this is from a man who, who has little time left. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But I don't even think he has words to describe this. He says, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's reminding them, and I think he's reminding us. He's like, Hey, guys, listen. This, this good news, this gospel thing that I've lived for and am willing to die for, like, I need you to understand something. This isn't just a myth. This isn't just a fable. It isn't, gonna, isn't, it isn't a feel-good documentary. It isn't a crutch for the weak. It isn't a, a mad-made construct to bring meaning into chaos. Peter's like, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. 
And I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know. Majesty is probably the the best word, but it it certainly doesn't even do justice to what I've witnessed. Here's, please understand what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey guys, listen, I want you to understand that Jesus is real. I touched him. He's not saying, I pulled his beard and it wasn't fake. He's not saying, you should just believe in him because, man, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, like, he was a real person. He's saying, guys, I don't know how to explain this, but I saw his majesty. In other words, I saw with my own eyes his superbness. I saw his magnificence. I saw something that was undeniable. I can't unknow it. I can't unsee it. I can't deny it. I can't, I can't forget it. I can't unremember it. I, I, I saw something that I I can't even put words to. And you can threaten me, and you can, you can threaten to torture me, and you can tell me to put a mask on, and I just want you to know there is nothing that could change that because it changed me. And if you saw what I saw, and if you knew what I knew, my goodness, nothing, no bad news could ever change my good news. It just doesn't even have a place. Many Bible scholars believe that, that Peter was writing to these, this, this group of, of people that, were, um, that had a lot of false teachers that were teaching them. That people call them the Gnostics. And uh, they were teaching Christians that Jesus was not coming back. The second coming was, was, was not a real thing and he wasn't going to be coming back. And... And we don't hear that taught much anymore. There's not a lot of like, I don't know, weird Christian groups that, that, that necessarily teach that because honestly, we're just tempted to live like it's true. But um, what Peter's saying is like, Jesus is not only coming back. I, I got a glimpse of what he's going to look like when he does. And he refers to this thing and many, many, many scholars believe that, that Peter is actually referring to this day that was unlike any other day following Jesus. We call it the transfiguration. Jesus, a normally regular-looking guy, the Bible says that he wasn't even much to look at. He was just kind of a normal-looking guy, which is good for all of us. He actually didn't have a halo that many, many paintings we see. All of a sudden, they go up on a mountain, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and, and, and Jesus reveals his godness for a moment on a mountain. I just, want you to, I just want you to get a glimpse of what that must have looked like. And Peter was there to watch it all happen. And so what, what 40 years later, whatever, as he's writing this, I mean, he is, he is trying to put into words what he saw with his own eyes. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2. This is the account. There he was, Jesus, before them, transfigured before them. Close your eyes and take this in. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. I want you to think about what that must have been. You've been following along with a guy, and you watched him do miracles, and you've heard wisdom pour out of him. You've seen him heal blind eyes. You, you've seen him you know, raise people from the dead and all of these things. And then he goes up on a mountain, and it's just you and two other guys. And all of a sudden, he transforms before you, much like, a, like all of a sudden uh, a caterpillar comes out of a cocoon as, as a butterfly. And, and he is unlike what he was and always has been, uh, just 
light shining out of the pores of his skin, every fiber of his clothing defines what white truly is. And it's like, I mean, I thought I knew what white was until I saw this. I thought snow was white, but snow's dirty compared to what I just saw. Like, he just unveils his godness before them for a moment. And it gets better. Um, Verse 3, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So not only does Jesus just all of a sudden unveil and transform and transfigure into radiance, but then he's chatting it up with two formerly dead guys. Moses and Elijah, just all three of them are just talking. I want you to imagine what it must have been like to be in the room and yet not in the room, right? I mean, you're there, but you're just kind of like, this is awesome, right? They're actually not chatting with you because these are like celestial beings chatting with celestial beings and you just kind of get the veil tore back so that you can kind of see something that nobody else would ever be able to see as Peter, James, and John are all seeing this at the same time and, and Jesus, as, as he's he unveiled his celestial like being, he's, he's speaking with Moses and, and, and with Elijah and it must have been absolutely amazing And Peter gets so excited and he he reacts like most of us would in verse 4. He says, Peter said to Jesus, it's so funny. He goes, Lord, it is good for us to be here. (laughs) Wow, this is awesome, right? I'm, I'm blown away. Let's never leave this mountain. I mean, let's just chill here forever. This is amazing, right? I don't want to leave here. Moses, Elijah, all my favorite people are here. There's me. I'm my favorite person. And then there's Jesus. And then there's Moses. Let my people go. I know that line. And then you got Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. And you're just like so excited. It's like, oh my goodness, all of my favorite people are up here on this mountain. Why the heck would I ever want to go back down into the nasty valley that is waiting for us when we could just set up camp right here and, um, and just live here forever? Wouldn't that be awesome? And he says in verse 4, he, he starts speaking up. He's like, hey, hey, if you wish, um, I'll put up three shelters. In other words, I'll make three tents. Um, for one, for one for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for my boy Elijah. Like, I, we'll, we'll set this thing up. Let's set up camp, and we'll never leave here. Ever. We'll stay here forever. This sounds amazing, doesn't it? I mean, this is what's, what's, what he's so excited about. And isn't it true that we always tend to want to set up camp when God wants us to break it? Because we always want to live on the mountaintop rather than have to walk through the valley. We're like, man, if we could just live on the mountaintop forever. Like, especially as a teenager going to teen camp, I'd come back after teen camp and be like, I just want to live at teen camp. Real life stinks. Can we just go back to teen camp? Right? Can we just live life on a retreat all the time? Why? Because we always want to make permanent what God sees as a season. Man, could we just live in perpetual harvest? Doesn't that sound amazing, Jesus? And Elijah, Moses, I know you're with me, right? We could just stay up here and never have to go down into real life. We could stay up on a mountain, and you guys, celestial beings, you could make me food and be awesome, right? I and mean, we could just do this thing. We don't have to toil. We don't have to till soil. We don't have to plant. We don't have to water. We don't have to. We could just harvest all day. This is amazing. 
And, and I honestly love, if you're following along in the story, I honestly love how God the Father just interrupts Peter. You could read it for yourself. Because if we're honest, nobody actually asked Peter's opinion anyway. Nobody was actually even talking to Peter. Peter just decided, I got stuff to say. I want to be in on this celestial little trio thing. That'd be cool. Could just like live here forever. And rather than stand in the magnificence of the moment, he tries to memorialize the moment, which is what we try to do. We try to go back and recreate the moment when God showed up and the year when God showed up and the way things used to be. If we could just go back there and recreate that thing, if we could just get back to the way normal used to be, then that will be. If we just live in our past, then that would be, that would be great. And, and God the Father legit interrupts him. He would have been better just to shut up and be still. I wish I did that more often. Because isn't it true that many times we jump into a spiritual situation with an earthly answer? In verse 5, it says, while he was still speaking, while Peter was still speaking, he's like, we'll put the fire pit over here, and then Moses, you could be over here. A bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, Catch what, catch what God the Father said. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I want you to understand, this wasn't just like a, a moment where God wanted to just say what God wanted to say and all that kind of stuff. I believe that, I believe he was correcting something in Peter as Peter had a whole plan of earthly answers to spiritual situation and wanted to memorialize a moment rather than realize that this is a season and something that God was wanting to reveal that he was supposed to take down into the valley rather than try to set up camp on a mountaintop. I think he was, I think he was actually correcting some things of what Peter wanted to do. First of all is you don't put Jesus on the same level as anyone else. No, you're not going to make a Oh, you're going to make a tent for Jesus and Moses and Elijah and you, Peter, James, and John? Like, oh, you're all going to have tents? I, I, I think God the Father was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is my son. You don't put him on the same level as Moses. You don't put him on the same level as Elijah. And you certainly don't put him on the same level as you. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And secondly, he just says it at the very end and just... Three words, the end of verse five, he says, listen to him with an exclamation point, which makes me think that maybe he yelled it. I think the second thing that he's speaking to Peter is stop trying to tell Jesus what to do and start listening to what Jesus is telling you to do. A revelation to many of us is that the Father did not send Jesus to fulfill your vision. He actually sent Jesus so that you could fulfill God's. And so when we look at a spiritual situation and try to come up with earthly, fleshly answers, God, I think, just butts right in and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, I wasn't asking you. Well, but I got an opinion. Okay. Anyway, um, 
What I was trying to say before you interrupted me was, this is my son. You don't put him at any other level. Please don't put any of your problems on any other level. Please don't put any other person on any other level. Please don't put yourself on any other level than Jesus Christ. It always has been, always will be about Jesus. And stop trying to think that he needs to do what you want him to do. And start listening. Listening to him. Why don't you stand with me? Powerful, powerful moment in Peter's life. I think it was instrumental for him. Whether he got it in the moment or not. In verse 18, he says this, um, as he's looking back on this time, he says, we, we ourselves heard this voice that he's referring to that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. I want you to realize, if you asked Peter, if let's say we had the opportunity for him to be back here, and he said, hey, you know, do you think Jesus Christ is really the Son of God? Peter would say, absolutely, yes. Well, I mean, how can anyone really know? He'd be like, the Father literally told me. <laughs> I literally heard the audible voice of heaven tell me so. And Peter's like, I don't have much time left. I, I, I don't... I, 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 I know that my time is short here, and these are the most important things. I need to remind you. I need you to remember. I need you to know what I personally experienced. But the problem with personal experiences is that they're personal. And so he's reminding us of the things that, that God's done in him and that he's reporting to us. But the problem is, is that for some of you, you're like, ah, but I've never seen Jesus transfigured. I've never heard the audible voice of God in my life. And I'm thankful that he doesn't leave us there. In verse 19, he continues and he says this. He says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter is reminding us of our future. I will say, for me, especially this week, I've been reminded of what is happening right now. And Peter's like, don't forget where you're headed. Don't forget your future. And, and, and you may be like, how am I supposed to remember something that has not yet to happen? This is the mystery of the gospel, the already but not yet, that the kingdom of God is here and yet is still coming. And it's this reality that I think that Jesus doesn't always simply call us to remember the past. Many times he beckons us to remember our future. And if I could say anything to you, church, the church of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you this morning. I want to bring to your remembrance this morning. I want to arouse you to awaken this morning, to remember your future. I, as Christ beckons you to remember that which you already know, but sometimes forget. Because in this time, I don't know if you feel this, but like in this time, like you're kind of like everything that you were holding on to that used to be something that you could, you could hold on is shaky now. It's like, I, I don't even know. I, I, I thought this was something, and, and, but now this is taken away, and this is stripped away, and this is moved. I just want you to know this. You were holding on to the wrong thing anyways. 
It's just proof that you were holding on to the wrong thing. So take that as encouragement. So you're like, yeah, but that was stripped away. Because you're never supposed to hold on to that. Well, but, I, but I, I, I knew that this was something. Yeah, but that was actually never your sure hope. I think in some ways, even through this time, as, as things get stripped away, we start to realize the only sure and certain hope we have. Hebrews 6.19 says this, we have this hope. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What that means is that we don't have a hope that's anchored in, in, in what happened or what's going to happen or what is happening, that, that we have an, a hope that is anchored in eternity of where we're headed. We have a hope that is an anchor in our future, that is an anchor for us. And I just want to encourage you today, as I, I just want to pray for you today as we sing, that you would remember the hope that you have in Christ, that you would be aroused to be awakened to remind you of the beauty and majesty of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that you would remember that your future is fixed and that our citizenship is in the eternal home. And I, I, I want to encourage you, just like Peter says, to pay attention to your future that is secure rather than paying attention to the now that is not as a light shining in the darkness. Like your only hope of navigating through the dark time that you may be in is by paying attention to the light, not by focusing on the darkness. And we can shadow box and try our best to work our way through that, or we can submit ourselves to the light of the Lord that resides on the inside of us and say, God, I don't know, I think I know, and I got a whole lot of opinions on how things should happen and how they shouldn't happen, but God, I'm going to rely on the light of hope that resides within me. It's got to be louder than my own voice. Because I know I just want to set up camp and I want to do this and I, I've got a plan and this is how we're going to do it. But they're all earthly answers to spiritual situations. And so Jesus, more than ever, I'm relying on your lead in this time of my life. I, I have to hear your voice. There's like no other option. I have to hear your voice in the midst of this. Awaken me, Lord to remember. Remind me of what I already know. Allow me to remember that the things that I hold on to are not necessarily things I should even be holding on to, but the things that is, that is anchoring me is your word. May it change me, make me, break me, mold me to be more like you because in the end, I'm more concerned with leaving a legacy that outlives me than living a longer life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are more than enough. Thank you that you are more than enough. And I, and I don't dare to put you on the same level as anything else. Jesus, have your way as we sing. I want you to join, join me, Lord. Join me in singing, lifting his name up above everything else. Lord, we worship you. We give you thanks. We give you glory. Have your way. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.